Hello, can you hear me? Good morning again. Um, so we, we're continuing our um, sermon series. This is number two of three. Uh, Rich kicked us off last week um, looking at this uh, theme here. We've, we've called it Uncertain, Resilient Faith in Times of Change. Um, if you've got a Bible, you can keep it open. We're looking at the first three chapters of this first letter to the church in Thessalonica. Um, I didn't want to read it all because I thought we might be here for a while, but if, if you've just got your Bible open there, you can perhaps dip in and out uh, as we move through those chapters. Uh, Rich talked last week about um, a deep faith. He talked about resilient faith being anchored in a deep faith, um, which I'm going to build upon a little bit today as well. And he talked about an unshakable hope as well, the, the thing that identifies the gospel and what we believe in. And as, as I was thinking about you know, what on earth do I talk about today? Obviously guided by these next few chapters of, of this letter, but what does it mean to be in times of change? What do, what do times of change look like? You know, surely all of human history is shaped by change. Um, but as I was thinking this, um, I was also scrolling through Facebook and this little, this little uh, do you go through Facebook and these little uh, memories pop up? So it says, um, you know, six months ago I got one that said 14 years ago I was thinking 14 years ago I'm not I felt instantly old but I was looking back at this um, this picture of me and my friends from we were camping in the summer I think um, 14 years ago and I just just couldn't get my head around how long that seemed to be when you looked at it in terms of numbers but how close in time it felt as well it felt like yesterday that that memory was there but actually I kept, kept pondering on that a little bit I thought actually we have changed I've changed they've changed we live in different parts of the country we're doing different things we've got children the world is a very different place um so resilient faith in in times of change but then I start to think a little bit more about the world around us and I thought certainly for me it feels like particularly this last five years or so um for my lifespan at least they felt like the most kind of uncertain tumultuous years that I've lived through and I started to scribble down some of the things that perhaps characterized the change that we've experienced in these last few years and we've had massive fast-paced shifts in in cultural trends and social norms we've had we've had a global pandemic these last couple of years we've had other global emergencies as well we've had perhaps one of the bigger things that resonated with me was we've had huge developments in in technology, in globalization, you know, pick up my phone and so much I can do with it now that I couldn't do when I was, um, you know, when, when I was a teenager. We've got the Western world's growing sort of intolerance of faith and institutional religion in particular. We've had and continue to have huge fallout within the church itself. We've got this big problem of the natural world and some of this irreversible damage that we've caused to the world around us. We've got this climate of anxiety and disorientation that we're living through as well and quite honestly this last year in particular i found myself more than ever praying that jesus would return because there's been so many times i've just felt overwhelmed by the change that's happening around us perhaps i just need to pull myself together a bit perhaps you're thinking what on earth is this guy talking about Um, I'm not trying to exaggerate things. I just think we are particularly in a a season of change, which is why we're talking about this in the first place. But when when we read through the Bible, we pick up our Bibles, read through Scripture, and generally, 
mostly speaking, the, the stories we read about, the characters that we encounter through the book of the Bible, they are stories that have been played out, narratives that have been played out in, in a world that is not peaceful and pleasant. There's often um, obstacles, there's often challenges, there's often oppression and difficulty. And the journey of God's people throughout history has been experienced and expressed against the backdrop of uncertainty and, and times of change. Jesus warned his disciples of the difficult road ahead. He said it wouldn't be easy. The world will hate you and despise you. And in theory, we, we should perhaps anticipate that for ourselves. But certainly the apostles in the early church, when we read through this letter to the church in Thessalonica, we, um, where, you know, to Paul, who Paul was writing, uh, he spent time in Thessalonica on his missionary, missionary journeys. Uh, he traveled there, spent time with them. Um, but that was also a setting of profound uncertainty and difficulty and hardship. So let's dive into these uh, three chapters. Let's see what Paul and Silas and Timothy have to say to us about this theme of resilient faith in times of change. Now, I love, given that kind of setting and given that scenario of, of difficulty we're going through, I love that Paul begins this letter with affirmation and encouragement for the church. He doesn't dive into any kind of instructions or guidance, but he, he affirms them in who they are and what they've been doing. And it's just so powerful, isn't it? I was speaking to somebody this week, how powerful it is when people are recognized, when we feel acknowledged and seen and encouraged. But what makes this more powerful, and there's a, in verse four of chapter one here, what, what I think makes this more powerful is that Paul says to this group of Christians, this small, young community of Christians, that they are loved and chosen by God. They're loved and chosen by God. And there's often this sense when we think about our faith, about our Christian faith, that perhaps this is something we choose to do. I, you know, I chose to be here this morning. I didn't have to be. Um, I chose to say a, a prayer a few years ago. I chose to be baptized. Um, I chose to sign up to the electoral roll. You know, surely that makes me a, a Christian. That makes me a follower of God. That makes me beloved of God. And in, in the, their own way, these things are true. I'm not trying to disregard any of those things, but we rarely stop to consider that this profound truth that we hear about in, in verse 4 here, that God has chosen you to be his own. God has chosen you to be his own. This isn't all upon us to make that decision, that God has chosen you, God's selected you, he's handpicked you, he's headhunted you. You are known and you are seen by the God who has made everything. And then Paul continues, how do we know, how on earth can we know that we are chosen and beloved by God? How, how, how do we get our heads around that? And Paul gives us these indicators of, of the, our chosenness. He talks about, uh, because you have received and accepted the words of the gospel, you are chosen. The transforming power of the gospel through the Holy Spirit that's evident in your life is an indication that you are chosen and loved by God. It says you bear the conviction and the assurance of the gospel in your life, another indicator that you are chosen and beloved by God. And I thought it was really important, actually, these first few verses that Paul presents to, to us in this letter, that as we talk about this theme of resilient faith, I just wanted to remind us, I wanted to remind you, or I wanted to remind myself that this isn't about us working or striving to be loved or accepted by God. There's no amount of work that I can do there's no amount of hours I can commit myself to that will 
qualify me to be loved or accepted by God. But rather, Jesus himself was the ultimate expression of God's love, God's acceptance for us. And through the cross of Christ, we are saved by grace through faith. And that is a gift to us. It's a gift to you and me this morning. And the fact that you're here, I love how busy church is this morning. The fact that you're here, the fact that you're perhaps listening at home, the fact that you might well be listening to this after Sunday morning, I just pray that that is indicative of this deep underlying conviction and calling of God on your life as a response to the gospel of hope that we find in Jesus. That he died for the forgiveness of your sins, that he rose to life again so that we could live with him forever. And I pray as well, given the words of Paul here, that even at this point, right at the beginning of the sermon, that you will feel within your soul this weightiness, this need that we all have for the saving grace of God. That you'll experience the blessedness, the the joyous assurance of that grace. That you'll be filled again with the Holy Spirit today. And that you'll continue to know that transformational love of God, that power of God in your life. For these are the indicators of our chosenness. But Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, you're chosen, brilliant, crack on. He begins to describe and outline the the state of play, the, the identity of the faith of this small community. And so he adds another layer to this. We're looking now through verses 6 to 10. The evidence of God's chosen people, it's not just this inward feeling or a superficial encounter of God. But the deep work, that deep faith that Rich was talking about last week, it becomes apparent in us. It comes to life in us. It changes and then flows out of us as well. And so Paul goes on to describe the life and the faith of the Thessalonian believers. And he says these five things here. He says, firstly, they become imitators of us. They become imitators of the apostles. He then says they become imitators of the Lord. They become imitators of Jesus. He notices that they are, they're filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit despite their circumstances. He says that they're transmitters of the gospel. This isn't something that becomes um, inward and they don't become recluse and retreat away from the world, but they become transmitters of the hope that they've received. But not only that, they become models of the gospel too. They live it out through the way that they live and relate and interact with people around them. And for me, as I was reading through this, it, it, it adds up to some kind of formula, really. This is what resilient faith looks like in practice. This is how it comes out of us in practice. When you add these things together, we, we have this shape of a resilient faith in God. So when we look at this list, the, the, the clearest thing here for me is that faith in Jesus is not simply just being convinced of the gospel. It's not just believing perhaps, that Jesus exists and that Jesus is real, or he's a, a historical figure that did this, this, and this. But actually, it's a wholehearted, whole life, active and intentional transformation of our lives. Apostolic faith, if I can call it that, what we read about here in the apostles, uh, in, in the epistles, is this deep and honest longing to become holy like Jesus. To anticipate the second coming of Jesus and the renewal of all things and to be beacons of the gospel in the world around us how's that going for you of these three chapters 
Uh, just encourage you perhaps to go away and read them um, at some point. But read the whole book. It's not that short, is it? Uh, not that long. Five chapters, is it five chapters? But of these three chapters in particular, Paul puts a lot of energy into his relationship with the church in Thessalonica. His role as an apostle, his role as a teacher, as, as an evangelist, as an encourager. And when we read through Acts, he's, Paul and his team, they're flipping around everywhere, going from place to place. And we often lose the sense that he embedded himself there, that he built relationship with these people. But that's primarily what he's talking about here, is his role within this community. But then there's also the role of the church as well, how they responded to Paul and the apostles in learning and in honoring and in uh, imitating as well. And so I want to focus for the few minutes that we've got left of me being here talking to you, I just want us to focus on these two ideas that shape Paul's letter to the, uh, to the Thessalonians. Imitation and influence. Imitation and influence. Central to our chosenness and to this resilient faith that we're called to live out is our role as imitators and our role as influencers. So who are you imitating is the first question. Imitation, who are you imitating? We're told in chapter 1 and, and a little bit later in chapter 2 in verse 14 that the Christians in Thessalonica were, were transformed by the gospel, but they learned, learned how to imitate the apostles. They become imitators of the apostles. I was thinking, you know, surely we're called to be imitators of Jesus, you know, but there's something profound here. There's this other level where they're called also to become imitators of the apostles. And we live in a world, don't we, where we're kind of raised and brought up in a world where we naturally want to imitate people around us, whether that's celebrities or pioneers, those that are more successful perhaps in our workplaces, those that are doing really well, those that have made a mark for themselves in the world around us, celebrities, pop stars, fashion icons, Whoever it might be that inspires you, we naturally have this, uh, this inclination to imitate people. And it's not, of, it's not often perhaps just an individual that will inspire us that we desire to imitate, but it, it might be an ideology, it might be a philosophy, it might be um, a certain movement that you try and imitate and find your sense of belonging in. And whether we know it or not, this is, this is what I was thinking about when I was reading this, whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not, we are imitators. And so for those of us who are chosen and beloved by God, we have to ask ourselves that question, who am I imitating? Who am I trying to copy, trying to be like? And obviously the answer is that we are called to be imitators of Jesus, to become disciples of Jesus. And for Paul and the apostles, there was an intentionality about this. There was a purpose-driven intentionality behind this which is what Jesus commanded his disciples to do right the great commission go and make disciples and this is what Paul and the apostles were living out here in chapter one Paul praised the willingness of the Thessalonians to become imitators of them and so there's this layer to consider so rather than just seeing ourselves as imitators of Jesus which is right but the methodology behind that imitating those that are more mature than us in the faith to help us as Paul puts it in, in his letter to the Ephesians he says to become mature people reaching the height of Christ's full stature and he says then we will no longer be like children carried by the waves and blown around by every shifting wind of doctrine but instead by speaking the truth in a spirit of love we must grow up 
in every way into Christ who is the head. Under his control, all the different parts of the body fit together. So there's, there's a momentum here. And I think what we see in, in we glimpse perhaps in, in the book of um, Thessalonians in this letter here is that faith was caught, but it was also taught as well. These guys had snatched a hold of the gospel, but they also were desiring to imitate these people who were modeling it really well. So this is a life of resilient faith, that we choose to imitate Jesus Christ through those around us who model the way of Jesus with integrity and with maturity. And similarly, the Apostle Peter words it like this in, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, like newborn babies, we get this mature, immature imagery again, crave pure spiritual milk so that, it may, uh, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. So the Christian faith, it's not static. It's not something we receive and just cling a hold of until we die. But it's something that we mature into. It's something we grow into. It's something that we embrace that gradually takes over our, our life. So who do you have in your life that you are imitating? Who is in your life? It doesn't matter how old or young you might be. Who do you have that you are aspiring to be like? I can think of men and women during my years who have been mature, passionate, holy, godly people who radiate this, the gospel, who radiate the love and grace of God. And I can tell you there's plenty of those people here as well. So who are you looking up to? Who are you spending time with? Who are you learning from? Who are you open and honest with? Who is the person that's purposefully helping you to become more like Jesus? I feel like I'm always saying this when I'm up here, but it's quite clear through the Bible, it's particularly clear through the New Testament that we're not intended to do this alone. And one of the most joyful things about being here this morning and as we gather together week by week is that sense of doing this together. We're not hermits. We're not called to live in caves doing this thing by ourselves. We're here. This, this is it. This is what it's about. Yes, we come to church. Yes, we buy into life groups. Yes, we do the communal life together. We serve on rotors and we commit ourselves. But we can often miss what we read about here in Thessalonians, this deep intentional alignment of our lives to become imitators of the gospel. And this is what discipleship is about. So who are you imitating? Who have you in your life that you are striving to be like? Who is there that, you're, that you admire, you respect? Perhaps you're new here. Perhaps this is your first time. You've been coming a few times and you're thinking, I don't really know anybody yet. Perhaps you're new to the faith. Perhaps you're a new Christian. You're just exploring all this stuff and you've got nobody in your life. That, that's, that's fine. Come and, come and chat to us. Come and get to know people. Um, this is organic, it's natural stuff. This is what it means to be a community of faith. But perhaps if you've been here a while and this all feels a bit strange and alien to you, you've not really thought about this before, just spend a moment. Who are those in your life today that you could perhaps go and talk to? That you could begin a journey of imitation and discipleship and mentoring together? So who, who are you imitating? And the second thing here is the companion of imitation is influence. Paul gives a lot of time in these chapters to his role 
and the role of Silas and Timothy and the other evangelists and apostles that he was journeying around with. And they themselves in the story and as we look through Acts and as we read through the epistles in the New Testament, these guys were influencers. They were role models of the faith. We're told in 1 verse 7, chapter 1 verse 7, that the Christians in Thessalonica had become an example themselves to the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, the region around them. So these guys had grasped a hold of the gospel. They were beginning to imitate Paul and the apostles, but they then themselves were out there modeling what this meant to be in the world around them. So the resilient faith, coming back to the idea of resilient faith again, of the Thessalonian church, is that they forced that good news outwards. It wasn't something they harbored and, and dwelt upon and sat upon. It, it naturally began to radiate into the world around them. They be, became imitators, but they also became influencers in the world around them. And I was sat on YouTube the other day, and um, I just realized how many, how many people you see on a cycle. These people are striving to be... Have you come across influencers as a term? Um, so these people with large social media followings who have got this kind of capacity just through social media to change the world around them, to impact people. Um, I think they get a bit of money through it as well, a bit of an incentive. Um, but because of their following, because of their social media following, they, they have this capacity to influence people and bring about change. I think is remarkable. But I was thinking about that. I thought for all of us, again, whether we like it or not, or whether we think we are or not, our decisions, the words we say, the relationships we have, our tweets, our Facebook posts, uh, the glances we have across rooms at people, we influence people, we shape people, we have an effect upon people. For good or for ill, we influence people. Intentionally or unintentionally, we influence people. A part of the apostles' mission, the, 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 the role of Paul and the other guys that we read about in the New Testament was, was to influence people with the gospel of Jesus, to make imitators, to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And it's clear that even for this young church here in Thessalonica, that they began quickly to influence the world around us with the hope of the gospel. And in their setting, um, if you read through the book of Acts, um, we come to chapter 17 and we hear a little bit more about the situation in Thessalonica. That these guys were doing this within such a, a, an arid environment where the, the message was hit and miss. We, uh, we read that when Paul and Silas traveled to Macedonia, they arrived in Thessalonica and they caused this massive divide in the city. Some people really received the word, they grasped a hold of this message. But we're also told that the Jews despised them. They hated them. They threw the city into uproar. They dragged some of these members of the church before the local authorities. And even when Paul and Silas left, because they thought we'd, we'd better get, get a move on, these guys followed them. And in the next towns they arrived in, we're told that they, they stirred up crowds against them there too. This was passionate pursuit against what the apostles were trying to do. Can, can you imagine being a Christian in that kind of environment? I think it's important that we do remember regularly that many of our brothers and sisters around the world, the churches around the world, live out their faith in such circumstances as this. But I find it remarkable when we look back across the 2,000 years of church history that it's actually in these moments of change, these moments of profound difficulty and suffering that the church seems to thrive and this certainly is the case of the Thessalonian church. They become imitators and influencers regardless of the suffering that they faced. And as our own Phil Wade said a few weeks ago, he'll appreciate a little quote. Um, when we remember our series on choosing joy, 
One, oh. That had a deep impact, didn't it? Um, <laughs> Phil Wade, a few weeks ago, um, he said this, which, which has stuck with me. He said, joy is not a feeling, but it's a focus. Is that right? Direct quote there. Joy is not a feeling, but a focus. And you can see when you read through this book here, and when you, perhaps you, we glean a little bit from the book of Acts as well, but the Thessalonian Christians, they've got this clear focus. They've got a directive for their lives. They're captivated by the gospel. They're committed to holiness. They're devoted to evangelism, and they're thriving amidst difficulty and suffering. And as our society today, the world around us today, becomes more and more post-Christian, as we've become more and more kind of secularized in the way that we think and behave and the rhythms and stuff that we adopt as a, as a culture, we shouldn't be surprised that we begin to face more and more rejection and persecution. I think more and more, actually, that comfortable Christianity, comfortable Christianity is becoming increasingly implausible, implausible in the world that we live in. I think it's becoming unattractive even it's not standing up but there's something about this resilient faith that has stood the test of time this pursuit of mature faith in Jesus where we become imitators and influencers but of course if we're you know if okay this sounds great if we're to do this we need a steady stream of mature men and women of God who are becoming influencers who are directly involving themselves in other people's lives so for those of us perhaps who have been following Jesus for a long time we would describe ourselves as mature Christians who are you influencing who are you invested in who are you directly coming alongside to teach and encourage who are you praying for who are you challenging and correcting? To whom are you modeling what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus? As we journey through chapter two, some of the words are incredible. I think I've got a slide here with some of these words on. If we're getting a bit nervous about what influence looks like, it's not imposing ourselves upon people in an uncomfortable way. I don't know if you can read those words. They might be a bit small. Um, but just journey through chapter two, we've got words like honesty, God please, humble, gentle, motherly, devoted, holy, upright, blameless, fatherly, clear, thankful. These are the kind of words that have been thrown around as to what that influence looks like. We're not battering people and dragging people to become like us. We're influencing them in such a way that they become like Jesus. And in the end of chapter 2, Paul goes as far as saying that when Jesus returns, the main reason that he will have to boast is the lives of those he's ministered to and influenced in the faith. Don't you think that's incredible? The residue of our own discipleship is those that we've left behind and matured and brought along in faith with us. And for all of us, perhaps you're thinking, well, I don't feel like a mature Christian. Perhaps I've not been doing this too long. I think we can all learn from this church in Thessalonica that the heart of our individual and corporate response and our vocation as the church is to influence the others with the joy and the hope and the truth of the gospel. Through the way we live, the habits we put into place, the practices we have in our lives, we're called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And a little challenge for me as I was reading through this, I thought, if actually, if my faith, if your faith is having no effect 
on people around you. If your faith and your belief in Jesus Christ is having no effect on the world around you, there's something gone wrong. So Paul closes chapter 3 with this wonderful prayer of blessing. And it's in these words we turn again to that theme of resilient faith. And it's, Paul says that it's through our love for one another here, the people in this room, other churches, it's through our role as, as, as a family of God, but also for our love for the people beyond these four walls as well. It's through that love that our hearts will be strengthened and kept blameless in holiness before God when Jesus returns. And the reality is that the love that Jesus modeled, the love that we're called to embody and model to the world around us is, it hurts, it's costly, it's sacrificial, it's not comfortable faith. There's a big ask here, which is to deny yourself. And like the Thessalonians, we live in uncomfortable and uncertain times, but only Jesus Christ can offer any hope to this world that we live in, this ever-changing world. But I really want to just stir the pot with these two ideas of imitation and influence. Who are you imitating today? Who are you influencing today? We're going to pause just for a moment. Um, I think we're going to have a song. So I'm just going to invite Phil and the band up. Um, if you're able, do you want to stand with me? And we're just going to have a moment before the, stop, the song starts. Just, just begin to think about those two questions. Who are you imitating? Who are you influencing? And what are you going to do about it? We're going to sing together and in a, in a moment, just after this brief moment of silence, then we're going to gather around the communion table together and we're going to remember what this is all about again. Amen.